0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
1: Hello, everybody. I am starting us off this week with a joke. It's a really good joke, guys. (laughs) Yes, I
0: love jokes. Okay, I'm ready. ready.
1: All right, you ready? What's black and white and black and white and black and white and green?
2: The green threw me off, Victoria. Uh,
0: I was, At first I was picturing like a, a zebra rolling down a hill. Uh, is it a grass-stained zebra? Close. Three zebras fighting over a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So it wasn't
1: a really good joke. Sorry about that. Uh, sometimes nine, nine zebras... Great. <laughs> I feel like zebras and other black and white animals just seem to invite stupid jokes. So I <laughs> right. needed to start off the episode with that. I'm going to but think about that Most people can agree. Tomorrow. Thank you, Rachel. You're
0: making. I'm my just night. not sure if she's going to talk about pickles or about zebras.
1: Zebras, <laughs> zebras,
0: zebras. That's what. Okay.
1: Most people can ab- agree that zebras are pretty remarkable-looking animals. So most mammals, if you think about mammals as a group, are brown or tan, maybe reddish orange. If you're getting really fancy, white, gray, yeah. black, right? Pretty dull colors, if you compare it to some of the amazing colors that you could see on insects, birds, birds. fish, amphibians, reptiles, corals, many different other kinds of uh, sea slugs, sea
2: different kinds slurs. of animals. Yeah,
1: zebras. Yeah. Though that pattern is very flashy, right? For mm-hmm. and
2: it a mammal, yeah.
1: For a mammal, uh, it's also kind of confusing from an evolutionary perspective because. The reason most mammals are so dull looking is for camouflage and because most mammals don't use color for sexual signaling or for warning coloration. There are very few poisonous mammals. And zebras are a prey animal, right?
2: Yeah. Right. And they're in the savanna. Yeah. It's mostly brown. it doesn't make
0: sense for them to have like a a warning coloration. Right.
1: And you you would think that they would want to be
0: camouflaged too, logically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Could be useful in a uh, habitat with large feline predators chasing you.
1: such as a lion, for example. Such as a lion, correct. Leopard. So I can't remember for sure what I was taught in school about this, but I know that I heard as a kid that zebra stripes actually were for camouflage in the grasslands. The stripes somehow like made them blend in with the grass, maybe like at twilight. This is pretty far fetched. Mm-hmm. If you actually right. look at pictures of zebras, like yeah. you can Google it and you're like, there are a couple where they're like in the grass and you're like, mm, yeah, maybe not really. Think. I can still really no, see that no. zebra.
2: Well, does their predator have a? I might be jumping the gun, but does does their predator have vision that would make it harder for them to s- be able to see the black and white?
1: It's a fair question, oh, Rachel. Yeah. Um. And I think that there has, they're probably attempting to do some research into that area. Um. Uh, okay. But it it can be hard to figure out what other animals see.
2: Yeah. I I bring it up because them, I know. Uh, that's true uh, I know that tiger coloration we wouldn't think it would work very well but in the eyes of their their prey animal I know that prey animal can't see orange so mm. they blend in really mm. really well uh,
0: in the forest so it's like stuff. when hunters are yeah. wearing the blaze orange yeah. yeah
1: so you know it's possible that could that could well be um, uh, there are a few other kind of more reasonable hypotheses that I've heard more reasonable on the face of them anyway so one is that the stripes act as a kind of confusion camouflage that make it hard that,
0: that's what I had, I had always heard yeah that. that's
1: kind of the main one I've heard more recently until I started hearing this other thing that I'm going to talk about
0: oh but uh okay. so
1: making it hard for predators to tell kind of where one zebra stops and the next begins mm-hmm. this is really a hard hypothesis to test <laughs> if you think right. about it yeah and there's not a lot of scientific support for it. It's a cool idea. You could be like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Maybe, yeah, but uh, hard to tell. Uh,
0: another idea so is... Can I ask, is, this, mm-hmm. is the lack of scientific support, it's not that people think, scientists think it's not likely, it's, it's that it's very hard to test for? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I think so. Okay. And I think there, there may have been some experiments done that didn't really... I didn't dig into this a whole lot, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Areas you've got for something else research. For us. Yes, I have. Some, I, I'm. I'm going down a different path here. I'm intrigued. Um, so another idea is that the stripes are really there for other zebras to help them identify each other, and they do each have right. a unique stripe pattern, kind of like a fingerprint. So you know that's mm-hmm. that's possibly legit. Um, another kind of more out there one is that the stripes are for cooling. So <laughs> okay, uh, what? Stick with me here. The Black Areas okay. heat up more quickly and more than the white areas, and this uh-huh. true uh, could lead to a kind of uh, sort of surface level turbulence leading to more evaporation of sweat and more cooling.
0: Yeah, Kirk is making a very skeptical face yeah, more more turbulence than, say, I don't know, walking right.
2: Running, galloping.
1: Now, there have been some experiments... I don't doubt that there's an effect.
0: I question whether or not it's going to really make much of a difference. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. There have been some experiments that support this somewhat and some that don't so much. Um, So more research is needed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Recently, though, here I'm getting to what I'm actually talking about. Okay. There's been evidence for a different hypothesis. Fly deterrence. Ooh yeah oh okay biting flies are a Good really tell. big deal in Africa. You may have heard of the yeah, CT fly they, they transmit sleeping mm-hmm. sickness. there are also other diseases that are spread by flies biting mm-hmm. flies um and that could be like a really major source of disease and death uh, not only for people but also for for animals and so I'm not ex- exactly sure who came up with this idea, but basically there was uh this ecologist in the UK, Tim Caro, and he'd already done a lot of research on this hypothesis uh, in Africa, and he had been able to link a stronger stripe pattern in zebras to geographical areas that have more biting flies. But back home in the UK, he actually encountered an amazing opportunity to do some experiments because there is this landowner in the UK who has a herd of zebras.
2: Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: This is for conservation purposes, actually. So they, they kind of like a breeding stock for zoos and some stuff along that line. Okay. Um, so sure. this landowner has some zebras, and they also have some horses. And zebras uh, in this situation are a lot easier to observe than in the wild because they're used to people and they're kind of in a more enclosed area. So they were able to observe sure. that both the zebras and the horses seemed to tr- attract flies about the same amount but the flies were less much less likely to actually land successfully on the zebras than the horses. They would try to land huh. <laughs> something about the stripes seems to confuse their visual system and they would like bounce off instead of stick in the landing. All right. Like zoom in and like fear what? off or not or bounce off. Okay. Um, which is just kind of hilarious to think about, these inept flies trying to land on a zebra. Um, right. Even more funny, as a follow-up experiment, they got zebra-striped coats for the horses.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking, okay, go I, on. I, I love yes.
1: This. <laughs> and they found that flies were also less likely to land on a horse if it was wearing a striped coat. But they would uh-huh. still land on the horse's oh. head, which did not have stripes on it.
0: So here was my thought. You need to hat. Uh, I work in a park that in July is absolutely overrun uh, with deer oh, flies. I am
1: right there with you, Kirk. I, and so
0: I have was thinking
2: a haiku for it. You know,
0: back it, in I'm the sure. 80s, I had a pair of black and white Zubaz pants. Uh, I don't own them anymore, but, you know, you can get them online. And I did actually just do a, a web search while you were talking, and you can buy an entire black <gasps> and white zebra-striped, suit uh-huh uh like you know like a like a dress suit and i was mm-hmm. like maybe july i should just teach in that yes and see I, if the flies yes, leave me yes, alone now should. it is a hundred dollars so we're gonna need a few mm-hmm. more patrons to sign up to make that happen. i
2: i think you but, need, but uh,
0: i i'm willing to do that research for our listeners well you know what kirk i'm gonna go
1: you one better my last bullet point oh. here was so i googled to see and if, if you google zebra striped coats for horses Right. There are a few that are advertised as fly deterrent, but there doesn't seem to be a huge market yet, and there is no marketing of this for people. I think right. I think this is an underdeveloped area for a business venture. If you or any of our listeners are looking Mighty to um, to make a a buck in fly deterrent clothing,
0: call it the strange by nature suit. There it is. Yes,
2: I I have a haiku to share that was given or that was uh, written. For my job is fun day. I uh-huh. hate bly- biting flies. I really hate biting flies. I hate biting flies.
0: <laughs> that was mine. There <laughs> it is. <laughs> it was Kirk. Yeah, it. That was a That was a tough year. Oh. Tell you what, I'm serious though. If you, uh, if 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 our patrons can come through and uh, we get enough support, I will we'll get some sort of uh, zebra stripe suit. And go out in the woods and, and test it out. That would be amazing. I would, would love so to see cool.
2: pictures of that. I, I want to be there. And be yeah, there. we'll do a, we should
0: we'll do like a fashion shoot. That'd be that'd be astounding.
1: Yeah. All right. And on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's going to be Kirk's turn.
0: Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at... Patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. Rachel and Victoria, have you noticed anything different outside lately?
2: There's a lot Such of things as, that are different outside. Give me
0: give me a
1: category uh-huh. here. There
0: are a lot of things outside. Uh phenologically different.
1: Well, um it's, it's starting cooler. to turn from summer into fall.
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, the, the days, days are getting shorter. Uh-huh. Anything else? Um, the
2: leaves are starting to change. sort of a
0: big one. Oh, you don't say, Rachel. The leaves are starting to change. <laughs> they there are. you are. We live here in the Northland, and fall is upon us. And as a professional naturalist, uh, and I, and I'm sure you, uh, keep pretty close tabs on phonology. That is the changing of the seasons and associated natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And pretty much with clockwork, precision... I noticed the first leaves turning yellow about one to two weeks before the start of the Minnesota state fair. Yeah. Now that was quite a while ago. And you see, there you go. You said that's weird. Um, and for those following along at home who are not Minnesotans and don't know when the Minnesota state fair is, that means I usually start to see the first color in the first week or two of August. Now, Whenever I post about this on social media, I get the inevitable "too soon" response from people. I think for some people, this is just like a lamentation on the end of summer. Then, and you know what? Fair enough if you love summer. I think for others, though, they literally mean that they think it is occurring too soon, and they're worried. Like, oh, why are the trees changing? You know, so early this year. I mean, and to be clear,
2: they're stressed. Yeah, it's been a drought. So,
0: okay, but keep in mind what I said, Rachel. This is when I see the trees turning yellow every single year. Oh, not just this year. Yeah. And I always do like a a social media post, you know, that first week or two in August. I'm like, there you go. First fall color. And people are always perplexed by like, well, it's not, what do you mean? It's not fall. Why, why are you seeing that? This is, this is, this is normal. This is what we always see. Uh, It takes about two to two and a half months for the change to fully occur And yeah, you are right though, Rachel. It is those trees that are a little bit stressed that might start to do it first. But I know like at at our work, there's one tree that uh, is always the very first one to kind of turn yellow. Now I did notice this year, it turned a little bit yellow, then started to turn brown. Yeah. So I think it might have been a tree that uh, this year, the drought actually means that it is dying. Whereas most years, it might just mean that it's, uh, maybe it's always a little bit stressed out or something. And that's why it changes sooner. (laughs) So... We are sliding closer and closer to the um, autumnal colors for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. And I thought it'd be good to do a deep dive on the strange science of leaf colors. So, uh, first off, we think of leaves being green because they reflect green light and absorb other colors. And this is due to pigments in the leaves. They serve functions in the leaves uh, other than just making pretty colors. So they have reasons for being there and it isn't just to make us go, ooh, and marvel at them. But the main Mm -hmm. pigment we see in the summer is chlorophyll, uh, which is essential for photosynthesis and the making of food from sunlight. And, uh, you know, the green color is what's not useful to this process so it gets reflected Mm -hmm. that is kind of an oversimplification of what's going on uh, but i'm going to go with it you could literally have a podcast dedicated just to photosynthesis and probably have a good 100 episodes and not run out of stuff to talk about on just that topic but uh we're gonna stop there with the color green because we don't really care about the green right we talk about the other colors so in the fall, there are important changes that happen in leaves as they get ready for the winter, and leaves falling off is structurally important to the survival of trees, and we often don't think about that at all. Mm-hmm. So, first off, standard leaves cannot function in the winter as they freeze and become useless. I mean, you can have needles, which is sort of a specialized leaf, but your general mm-hmm. deciduous broadleaf uh, kind mm-hmm. of leaf, it, it's not going to function once it's freezing out there because they're full of water, right? So. Mm-hmm uh they're going to freeze and become useless but more than just being useless they're actually a liability all those water-filled leaves are heavy and trees need stiff inflexible and stout branches to hold all of them up and they're usually up to the task but when it snows thousands of pounds of frozen water is added onto those limbs Mm -hmm. right so it can get very heavy And that's when there's no leaves on there. If there's leaves on there, all those leaves are also collecting and holding on to snow. I I tried to look up if anyone had done like the math on this like in a really super scientific way, and I couldn't find good numbers. So I just did some sort of -of back-of-the-envelope math. You know, Mm. if you have a a large tree, like a big oak tree, with like a 50-square-foot canopy, which is not unreasonable for an oak tree... Uh well snow weighs about 20 pounds per cubic foot. Oh, so wow. you'd end up with 25,000 pounds <laughs> of snow on a tree if you had a 1 foot deep snowfall event like a big snowstorm yeah. which is around here not impossible. That's So what it clearly is
1: that? Occasional October snowstorms that we get or happen in the Northeast sometimes are so problematic. Exactly,
0: because the leaves are still on the trees. The trees gather up way more weight than they can sustain, and you get all these branches snapping off. So the leaves falling off in the fall are critical to the survival and the health of the trees. Uh, They want to protect their vital growing structure for the next growing season. So in the Mm -hmm. fall, something called an abscission layer grows in the stalk of the leaf, and this becomes the point where the leaf is going to break off. But also, it cuts the leaf off from the rest of the tree, and this is when we start to see the fall colors. When chlorophyll no longer serves a function, it starts to die, and we lose the green color in leaves, and this is when we start to see the underlying colors that have been there all along, but covered up by the green. The first colors we see are Mm -hmm. yellows and oranges, and they're caused by a familiar friend from last week, Hmm. carotenoids.
1: There it is.
0: I see what you did there. Yeah, so the, so the carotenoids, like, this all came from Rachel's flamingo topic. You know, the, the carotenoids in those leaves are there all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like beta-carotene or the lutein, and uh, when the green is no longer there, you can see them. But the story doesn't end just there. Nature has one more strange quirk to reveal before winter comes. The truly show-stopping reds and purples of autumn Mm -hmm. are caused by something completely different. Uh, The deep reds of maple and other species are caused by something called an anthocyanin, and the name literally means plant blue. So antho for plant and cyanin for blue, Mm -hmm. Uh, which seems kind of weird because you're like, Blue. Like, blue. And you can you can get little bits of blues like in, in leaves in the fall as well if you really look. But um I gotta sort of back up and talk about anthocyanins a little bit. They're found naturally in all kinds of plants, but the most familiar place you will see them is in red cabbage. You've yeah. all seen a red cabbage?
1: Yeah.
0: Here's the weird thing though. What color is a red cabbage? It's kind of purple. Purple. It's not red, is it? No. Why do we call it a red cabbage? Does that make any sense?
1: Pe- people in history called people. all kinds of things red that weren't actually red.
0: And that that's totally fair, totally fair. But I have another mm-hmm. theory why it might be called red cabbage, though. Um, and it's super, super cool. Um, it may have to do with a quirk of the anthocyanin molecule. It reflects light mm-hmm. that looks, say, purple when it's in that red cabbage because of the actual physical shape of of the molecule, mm-hmm. right? So it is reflecting purple light because of its shape. It, this molecule changes shape depending on the pH of its environment. Yes, I know this. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. if you put purple cabbage leaves into a salad and you then pour an acidic vinegar-based dressing on them, the pigments will actually change shape and literally reflect light at a different wavelength and the leaves will now look red instead of purple. yeah. So it could be oh. one of the reasons we call it red cabbage is that we often eat it in like vinegar. And so when we see it on the plate, it actually looks red, even though when you bought it at the store, it was purple. There's actually really a cool? pretty
1: fun science experiment you could do at home yeah. with red cabbage. Oh, yeah. Where you whiz it in a blender with some water and then you can put it into a bunch of different containers and add... Different amounts of different types of acidic and basic substances to it, and it really it does create a whole spectrum of different colors. Uh, so if you yep. put bases in, it gets blue and then green. I think at the very green, basic yeah, end, all the way to green. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the more acid you add to it, the redder and pinker it gets. So it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I did this with my summer campers this summer mm-hmm. actually, and we did. Um, oh my gosh, we did like soda pop, mm-hmm. milk. Um, Borax, like laundry booster, Mm -hmm. Windex, or some kind of like ammonia-based cleaner. uh, And you can get just wild colors. And it's all the same molecule. So it kind of seems like magic. That's really cool. (laughs) So anthocyanins are obviously in some leaves, but they're not really in the leaves that we're seeing on the trees. And so what's happening is that anthocyanins are produced in the leaves in the fall when sugars react with sunlight, so leftover sugar from photosynthesis that didn't get out of the leaf in time and got kind of stuck in there mm-hmm. um, is essentially chemically converted into into anthocyanins uh, by, by the sunlight. And so depending on the pH of the leaf, you're going to get anything from a red to a purple to even a blue. And when they combine <laughs> with the reflected colors of the carotenoids, you can get all kinds of other you know mixes of colors as well. So it's super cool uh, that like all these colors are coming together in the fall and there's actually a lot of chemistry involved and people try to make predictions on like how much fall colors we're going to have each year. And some of that has to do with how much sunlight did we get? How much water is there? How much sugar is in the leaves? There's a lot of different things that combine and it's not surprising because it, it, you have to have sugar in order to make it Mm -hmm. that when you have plants that are very high in sugars, like sugar maple, Mm -hmm. they end up with some of the reddest and purplest leaves in the fall because they have a lot of sugars, whereas something like an Oak tree, that isn't really known for producing a lot of extra sugars uh, is just kind of yellow and brown, Mm -hmm. and you don't get those bright colors. Right. So eventually all the molecules do break down once they're on the ground, and the leaves all kind of end up brown on the forest floor. So when you're out this fall doing some leaf peeping, uh, take a moment to marvel at the amazing chemicals in leaves whose literal physical structure just happens to reflect light at specific wavelengths that bring us delight, hmm. which I think that's is pretty really strange cool and pretty pretty cool. Yeah, very yeah, cool.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Definitely strange.
0: Oof. Well, we're gonna take a little break, and then Rachel, I hope you got something strange for us.
2: Oh, do I? Welcome back. Now, strangely, I'm heading over with all of you to New Zealand uh, for our next, oh, we're going time. to New I didn't, I didn't, Awesome. I, I didn't know we were all going about. to oh New Zealand. Woo-hoo! Yay! Wow. But
0: I, I'm not totally comfortable traveling right now, but okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, we're, I mean, uh, if you're going to go
1: anywhere in New Zealand, seems like a
0: pretty good pretty place good. to go. I'm not but sure they would let they us they in. Let's, they won't let us let's in. Let's go.
2: Uh, so I'm sorry. I got our hopes up. I meant we're going in our brains. We're not
0: actually... Oh, wow. I thought you had, like, bought us tickets. Okay, well... That would be so cool. I guess that'll... I, know. I guess that'll... The we'll New Zealand to tour will have to wait.
2: Oh, that'd be an amazing tour. Uh, so, we're, in our brains, we're going over to New Zealand, and we're going to learn about their largest reptile. Okay? Hmm. It's hmm. an extant okay. species of reptile. That's all that's left over from this... Uh, genus from like the time of the dinosaurs. There used to be way more. Uh, Kind of going on a a extant living fossil streak it seems.
0: Right, this is the reptilian dinko? (laughs)
2: Yep. Uh, So it it's all that's left. There used to be numerous other, other species. But now it's just this one. Now this reptile looks a lot like what you would think of for a lizard um okay however this species is not a snake it's not a lizard it is its closest living relative is the squamates so uh that particular genus of snakes so what's and the squamates again remind me uh
0: refresh our memory
2: squamates are lizards and snakes Okay. Pretty much. It's that group. Okay,
0: so it's related to them, but it's it's not. not. It's okay.
2: like separated uh, group. They separated, and then gotcha. we got lizards and snakes, and then mm-hmm. we have this little guy.
1: I think I know the name of this, Rachel. Ooh,
2: that's exciting. Uh, so the genus is the Spinosaurid genus, uh, and its name is the Tuatara. Is that what you were thinking,
1: Victoria? Yes, that's the one I was thinking
2: of. Cool. So the two... I wasn't sure if it it. was
1: Tuatara or Tuatara or how exactly it was pronounced.
2: I'm going with Tuatara. Um, Mainly because I do not speak Maori, which is where the... It's pronounced Maori. Maori. I thought it was Maori. See? clearly She just proved a a point. Perfect. Perfect. Um, So it is from the... Maori. 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 Darn it. Uh, which means uh peaks on the back. So okay. generally speaking, this species of reptile is pretty unique. Uh like I was saying, it looked a lot like a lizard. What you would think of as a lizard. It's not a lizard. Uh to a point where like A lot of people think it is a lizard, but it isn't. Kind of think of it as looking similar to an iguana and a bearded dragon. Kind of has like a bearded dragon shaped Mm -hmm. face and an iguana style body. Um, It's a greenish brown and gray uh, animal. And is about 31 inches in length from the tip of its tail to its head and it has a spiny crest along the back. That uh, spiny crest is especially prominent in males and they actually use it to like sprite, uh, put the spikes up to attract a female. Uh, They have two rows of teeth in their upper jaw, which actually overlaps with one row on the lower jaw, which is weird as all get out. So does, like, the
1: lower jaw row fit in between the two upper jaw rows, basically?
0: (laughs) That's really cool.
2: It's really Mm. cool, and it's very unique. It's not found in, like, any other living species, really. Um, And it actually allows them to... They are able to live with birds, but they also... um, I believe that... There was one thing that I read, like generally speaking, they eat um, like beetles and worms and millipedes and spiders. But uh, they will also eat lizards and seabird eggs and chicks. And because of Mm -hmm. how their jaws are, they can and how their teeth are, they're able to like decapitate a bird, which is crazy. (laughs) Wow. Uh, However, that's not the only strange thing that they have. Uh, They also have a pronounced third eye. (laughs) They are known as like the third eye lizard. Uh, They're not a lizard, Um, which is strange because it's not a true eye. It's photoreceptive and it's something that scientists think is more for photoreceptive. Like I said, photoreceptive. So, like, for circadian rhythms, being able to time the changing of the seasons. um, Because they actually change their circadian rhythm. rhythm. When they're young, they are a diurnal species. But when they're an adult, they are a nocturnal species.
0: Oh, weird. Which is
2: very bizarre. Most animals do not change that over. Um...
0: And it's not like an eye like you don't see it when they're an adult like there's not an actual eyeball there. There's not an
2: eyeball there. It's like, no, it's under
0: under the skin kind of, but it actually has like a lens even like I mean it's 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 pretty wild.
2: Prominent, you can see it, um, which is why it's so bizarre. Um, they, Gosh. yeah, it's called the it's also called the parietal eye. Um, it does have its own lens and it has something that resembles a cornea, a retina with a rod like structures and like nerve connections to the brain, but it's, it's not super, super duper, um, seen when they become more of an adult, uh, but you can see it very clearly when they're hatchlings, when it's like pretty translucent, the patch is pretty translucent. Lucent. There we gotcha. go. Gotcha. Uh, which is real, real weird. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, that, that's a fact.
2: Yeah. Uh, so they also, like turtles, actually, they have the most primitive hearing organs. Um, so they can hear, but they don't have any external ears. So there's uh-huh. no ear holes. So, but they're still able to to hear with no ear hole Mm -hmm. there's not an eardrum or anything like that or a tympanum uh and it's mostly like filled with loose the middle ear is mostly filled with loose tissue uh but it's still able to like get the vibrations and everything and translate it to sound in their brain
0: uh
2: (laughs) which is bizarre um They are generally, they are found in 32 small islands all around New Zealand. Uh, They are not found on the mainland anymore. Um, They have been driven out of that because of uh, rats, mostly. Yeah. Um, Oh, bummer. Yeah, so their biggest threat is actually a big problem.
1: Really big problem in New Zealand. Cats, rats.
2: Cats, rats. Um. Uh, Yeah, so they face a lot of threats when it comes to mice, rats, some habitat destruction, as well as pretty low uh, genetic diversity. Um, Mm -hmm. There's not necessarily a ton of them. So I don't want to end the episode on that saddish type note. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some more... Unusual things, uh, just a couple, including how old that they can be. So they have one of the slowest growth rates of any reptile, uh, but they keep growing until they're 35 years old. Uh, hmm. Their average lifespan is about 60 years, but they can live up to about 100 years, which is pretty old for Whoa. like a yeah. little lizard-looking reptile. Yeah.
1: I mean, turtles beat them pretty easily, but
0: yeah, that's Tur- still pretty old. are... Yeah,
2: turtles are a special beast. <laughs> uh, they also, which is pretty unusual, they are ectotherms, which means also uh, another phrase that we have is cold-blooded. They are actually pretty active in cool weather, hmm. so they don't thrive in constant temperatures of like really cold, cold temperatures. Uh, and when I say that, I mean. Um, like twenty five degrees Celsius.
0: Uh, that's you know probably about uh, it's like seventy five degrees or so.
2: Yeah. So, which isn't really super cold, but generally, uh, when it comes to the uh, being able to withstand colder temperatures in a uh, for a lizard-like reptile, like they're pretty good at that. Uh, To the point where their eggs, if it gets to be too cold, um, they can actually stop development while they're still in the egg until it warms up enough for them to start developing again. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't have that much else for the Tuatara, but they're a really cool-looking reptile, and the fact that they are a reptile but not a lizard it kind of trips my brain up a lot
0: right because they look just like a lizard lizard. just like a lizard
2: (laughs) it's really weird uh yeah but that's all i have for you all today
0: awesome well thanks for sharing thank you thanks for joining us everybody talk to you next week bye-bye bye thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.